Well, this evening, I want us to answer a simple question. What sort of leaders does God want us to have in our lives, and especially in the church, right? Now, I mentioned leadership, you're probably immediately checking out. Uh, yeah, this is going to be a long one. But, but this is an important issue. All of us know leadership matters in every area of life. It matters. We know that. You care about your children having, uh, attending a school uh, with good leaders. Uh, we, we care that we have, uh, if we're children here, we care that our parents are leading us well in the home. Terrible things happen when our parents do not behave as godly leaders. So we know the value of leadership in every. We know the value of leadership at work. Having a good boss at work uh, affects our happiness. Uh, and not only our own happiness, but the happiness of our family members. Leadership matters in every area of our life. And I would say it matters especially in the church. Because you see, at the church, we are not dealing with worldly issues or, or surface issues. In, in the church, we deal with eternal issues, issues that have everlasting consequence. So it is important, especially in the church, that we have the leaders that God wants us to have. And that's what I want us to look at briefly this evening, uh, as we look at this portrait of Epaphras. Uh, as we come to this final section of Colossians, we have done a scan from verse 7 to verse 16 this morning. But what I just want to do, uh, we've only got two verses left, uh, which we'll look at in September as we conclude this book. But before we do that, I just want us to take a step back and just take note of this important portrait of Epaphras, painted for us by Apostle Paul there in Colossians chapter 4, verse 12 to 13. Let me read those words again. Epaphras, who is one of you, is a Colossian, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Hierapolis. Uh, these verses have really impacted my own life as I've read this book, Colossians, many times. And they're probably my favorite verses in all of Colossians because they really pen for us. Uh, for, what sort of leaders God wants us to be? How, for my own life, how does God want me to pass the church? How does God want me to serve him as an ordinary Christian? How does God want me to be at home to lead my wife or my, 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 my family in general? How does God want me to be wherever I am? If I'm praying for the country, what sort of leaders should I be praying for? Because in this man, Epaphras, we, we have really a model leader. Paul is describing this man who has planted the church at Colossae. He's already mentioned him in chapter 1. Now, Epaphras is in prison. That's the context. He's in prison in Rome. We know that from reading Philemon. Uh, Paul points that out. He's actually there. And the reason why Paul has seen it necessary to send Tychicus to Colossae, is Epaphras can't go. And so what we have here is a, is a leader of the church in prison, and Paul is with him, and Paul is affirming this man. We talked about that this morning. But as he affirms this man, Paul also teaches us something important from the life of this man about the leaders God wants us to be and the leaders God wants us 
to have. Now, as I've started this passage, I could tell you, I think there are probably seven qualities here of a, of a, of a leader in this. A nice complete number. But we, don't worry, we're not going to do it seven. This evening, I just want to focus on four uh, that are so immediate for us. Four qualities that God wants us to have, wants all leaders to have, especially those who lead his church. And that's the context. Four qualities. The first quality is this. Leaders must be slaves of Christ. God wants leaders in his church who are truly born of God, that's a given, and are totally surrendered to Christ. They are living as slaves of the Lord Jesus Christ, like Epaphras. Look at verse 12. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus. And so immediately you might be thinking, that says servant. So where is this slavery thing is coming from? Well, the original word for servant there is not diakonos. There are two words sometimes translated as servants in the New Testament. One word is diakonos, where we get the word deacon. We'll come to that. In chapter 1, Epaphras is described like that, a diakonos. But the word here is doulos, and it means slave. In the Roman Empire, during the time of Paul and Epaphras, there are only two classes of people in the Roman Empire. People were either slaves or they were free. And the slavery in the Roman Empire was not based on race or ethnicity, no. Anyone can become a slave, and any slave can become free depending on their situation. Now, before the first century, the majority of slaves were prisoners of war, right? But by the first century, the time Paul is writing, most people become slaves by being born in it. Sometimes children, born free, of course, were sold into slavery by their fathers to pay for their debts so, uh, because of poverty. Also, some people became slaves as a result of just committing a crime, right? Slavery, though, meant complete loss of rights. We need to remember that. A doulos had a complete loss of rights. It terminated marriage, family ties, business partnerships, and any public or private offices a person had previously held. When they became a slave, this is what happened to them. As a slave, you are completely owned by someone else. You are their property. You could be sold or loaned out at the will of the owner. Your life depended on who owned you. That's slavery in the Roman Empire. Epaphras is not a slave of man. He's a doulos of Jesus. Epaphras is living his life and serving Christ as a man who has no rights of his own. He is living and serving. He has surrendered everything to the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ owns him completely. You know, if we ask the Epaphras the first question of the wonderful Eudebeck Catechism. What is your comfort in life or death, Epaphras? What is your comfort? You know how he would answer from the Eudebeck Catechism? He would say, my comfort is, I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, Epaphras is not trying to take back control of his life. He has abandoned it all to Christ. We might say he lives by the motto, I have no will except the will of God. 
I have no will. I think that was what would be written on his Facebook page if he had one. I have no will except the will of God. You see, for being a slave for Epaphras, it's not just his identity, it is a privilege. And we see that from just how he's serving. Epaphras knows he's not a slave of some tyrant, he's a slave of our loving and gracious oh, and wonderful Redeemer. He's a slave not of an ordinary person, but of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He's a slave of the eternal creator, the one who has fashioned him, the one who knew him before he was even born. The God who controls all things and causes all things to work together to the counsel uh, of his own will. And what we are being reminded here by Paul calling Epaphras a doulos, a slave of Christ, is that Paul is in effect saying to us indirectly, all leaders... Throughout the church are meant to be like this. They are meant to be slaves of Christ. They are meant to be people who value the privilege of being slaves. All leaders, and I'm not just talking about deacons or elders, throughout the church. As slaves of Christ, they are meant to obey Christ obediently. As slaves of Christ, they are meant to do it joyfully, knowing that they, have, they serve such a great king, and therefore they're going to serve this great king wholeheartedly. They know that just as a person who works for a great company puts their heart and soul for that company, uh, they know they work for uh, the, the, the glorious company in the, in the universe, with the most wonderful and most powerful boss in the entire universe. How can they not put their soul and heart into it? No, they put their soul and heart into it. Let me ask you a question. Are you a leader in the church? Do you teach perhaps in Sunday school? You are leading the children. That's leadership. Are you, do you have responsibility for men in the church in some way? You are a leader. Are you teaching the women? Are you involved in women's ministry? You are leading there. Music is a form of leading. You lead us in worship as we do that. There are all kinds of leading in different ways in the life of the church. You are exercising some form of direction for others. That's leadership. And of course we have elders and, and we have deacons. Right? How are you meant to be in these things? You are a leader at home. If you're a parent, you are a leader at your place of work. If you're a teacher here, you are leading the students. How are you meant to be in those areas? Well, the answer is you're meant to labor in those areas as a slave of Christ. Does that describe your attitude to those things? Are you saying in this task, oh Lord, you've said before me, I have renounced everything. Actually, this is not about me, Lord. This is now about you. I am performing only to the audience of one, the Lord Jesus Christ. Does that describe your attitude? And are you doing it as a privilege? Are you, are you working thinking, this must surely he, Christ, has infinite dignity. He has an infinite reputation. And I must labor and serve him knowing that I must not even for a minute bring 
any stain on his infinite reputation, which is ever so wonderful. As slaves of Christ, our leaders must serve diligently. They must give their all to King Jesus. As slaves of Christ, our leaders must serve Christ until Christ tells them to. A slave doesn't decide when they stop. Oh Lord, do not give us leaders in the church that are prone to quit at every sign of trouble. A slave cannot quit unless the master says so. God wants our church to have leaders who endure the worst hardship, even prison, as Epaphras is doing. As a church, beloved, this is the standard we should hold our leaders. Before this church thinks of even appointing anyone in any area of life in the church, we must simply ask them this question. Are you willing to serve as a slave of Christ? Or are you in this for yourself? Are you willing to, to, to usher, welcome people as a slave of Christ? Or as just having to do it? Are you willing to be a slave of Christ as you lead the men or women fellowship? Are you willing to labor as a slave of Christ as you care for the children in Sunday school? Are you willing to work as a slave of Christ as you take on the diaconate or be an elder? We need to appoint, actually, as it turns out, I'm coming to it later, new deacons and elders, I think, as el- in early 2024, in the Lord's will. What is the one question we must first ask? We must examine each candidate for evidence that they are already living as slaves of Christ. They are not going to be slaves as slaves of Christ, they are not doing it already. There must be evidence. What is their attitude to church worship? What is their attitude to evangelism? What is their attitude to praying? How do they structure their life? Are they living as slaves of Christ? True biblical leadership, we are learning from Epaphras, is a slavery to Christ. It puts Christ first. It only has an audience of one, the Lord Jesus Christ. And you see, only when people wholeheartedly surrender to Christ, only if everything they're doing is, is their reputation is only about Christ, only if they have him alone, can they truly serve his people. Can they truly serve his people? They must be first slaves of Christ, douloses, before we can even talk about them as diaconos, as servants of others. So that's the first quality, isn't it? Leaders must be slaves of Christ. But following on from that, naturally, is that leaders must be servants of others. Slaves of Christ, and the second quality we learn from Epaphras is that they are servants of others. That's the second quality. You know, since the pandemic, I, I have noticed that many stores now are getting rid of cashiers. I'm sure you've noticed that as well, right? You go into Sainsbury's there, there's no, it's just self-service, right? All the supermarkets now are about self-service. You can go to a supermarket now without talking to anyone. You just go in, come out. 
And some, I think people like that. And it's good for business. I mean, some people, I'm coming to that. I think this is good for business, of course. That's why businesses are doing it. They don't have to hire many people. But I think businesses are able to get away with this because consumers seem to want it. They are consumers. We have become a highly individualistic society. We're talking about that at Bible study, for those of you who are here. And, 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 and the result of individualism, as a result of this self-focus, self-dependence, self-service, is that business practices themselves are changing. Businesses have realized that there is something in all of us, especially now in the West, at this juncture, uh, that is loving this idea of self-service. Not having to depend on anyone else. You being the center, not being bothered by others. It is part of our fallen nature. Many of us would prefer to be self-employed, wouldn't we? If we could, rather than answer to some authority. And of course, this all goes back to the Garden of Eden. God made us to serve him and each other, but we chose to rebel and we only since then live for ourselves. Ever since sin entered the world, we have found it difficult to live a life that serves God and serves one another. We want actually people to be our servants instead of us serving them. That's our fallen nature. Epaphras is the opposite. He's not self-centered. He's obsessed with serving the Colossians and others. Listen to how Paul describes him there in verse 12 to 13. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on whose behalf? Your behalf in his prayers. That who may stand? You may stand mature and fully assured in the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked for himself. No, he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and their lapolis. Do you see that? Epaphras is not an individualist. He's not a, he's not a self-focused person. He's not a person who worships himself. He's not a person who lives to serve himself as he were. No, he's other-centered. He's not just sending the Colossians' best wishes. He's earnestly praying for them, and he's working hard for them. And in chapter 1, verse 7 to 8, uh, Paul describes there how Epaphras has taught the Colossians the gospel. He calls Epaphras, they are faithful minister. They are faithful diaconos. Uh, where we get, as I said, the word deacon. It means he's the one who serves. His slavery to Christ has resulted in being a selfless servant to other believers. That's the point. And you know Epaphras is following the example of the Lord Jesus Christ. God the Son. You know, Christ deserved to come into this world Oh, with the band playing. He deserved to come into this world, not just the angels singing once, but singing forever, wherever he went. He deserves wherever he went to be worshipped. Everyone just bowing down, because he's God. He deserves time just to stop for him. To be worshipped and adored, not just by human beings, but all of creation. But instead, Christ, we are told in Philippians, took on the life of a servant. Clothing himself in our skin, in our human flesh. He became one of us. And that was not the end of it because Brother Fred has been wonderfully teaching us in Philippians chapter 2. Christ went to the cross where he suffered as a criminal in our place. Even death on the cross poses. That instrument of shame, Christ bore that shame for us. Our Lord allowed himself to be treated less than human. And more than that, he, 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 he allowed himself to bear 
our sin. Bear the wrath of God that we deserve in order to save us from God's judgment. Christ gave up his freedom on the cross, didn't he? Bound there, as it were, by those Roman nails. Willingly. Because we are asked in the hymn, by the hymn writer, isn't it? Was it the nails that bound you to the tree? The hymn writer asked, no. No, it was your love for me. Christ willingly, as it were, allowed himself to be bound to that cross. Losing his freedom, so to speak, so that we may be freed from our sins. He gave up his privileges so that we may, be the priv- we may have the privilege of being his very own. That's you, may, beloved, may have that privilege of being his own. The leaders God wants us to have are people like Epaphras, who love and worship the servant King Jesus, and show their love for Jesus by serving like Jesus. True Christian ministry, especially the ministry of, of leadership, must be marked by servanthood. I've often said that the attitude of anyone leading in any area of the church should be like that of care workers. Care workers, most of them do their work with a 100% focus on the other person. Now, if people in the world can be selfless like that, I know they're not even paid very well, but they do it. Now, if people in the world can be selfless like that, what more us, beloved, who are in Christ Jesus? What more those we recognize and affirm as having something of the life of Christ in them enough for us to appoint them to position of leadership throughout the church? What more us who are serving a people like no other, a people purchased by the precious blood of Christ, the blood of God. Paul speaking to the Ephesian elders, it reminds them, doesn't it? In, Ephesians, in, in, in Acts 20, it gives them the weight of the responsibility. Take care how you serve the church, which Christ himself, that God himself purchased by his blood. That's the privilege of the church. Purchased by the blood of God. Beloved, we're not meant to be control freaks as we serve in any life of the church. We are here to serve. We are here to serve. Mothers, fathers, you are not meant to be control freaks in the home. God has placed you in those responsibilities to serve the children. At your place of work, you're not meant to be a control freak. You are there to serve. I said, oh, my contract says the opposite. I'm in charge. No, you're not. Christ is in charge. And you must serve as one serving the Lord Christ. That's what Paul reminds us. Treat your workers fairly. Paul talks about that in chapter 3. Because he said, Lord, because you also have a master in heaven. And he tells slaves to work hard because it's the Lord Christ they're serving. Every true church of God needs true servant-hearted leaders in every area who are available and committed to serve as God has called them to do. Now, I just want to say this, beloved. You may say, Chola, we know this already. Why are you going on about it? I'm saying it because we have a tendency to assume that having leaders like that just comes easy. Or us ourselves being leaders like that is easy to do. It's not All of us are sinners. 
And all of us are serving in a world that says, don't worry about serving him, serve yourself. And remember, the more power leaders enjoy in any area of life, the more easily they become corrupted by it. We know that just by looking at geopolitics. And to see that it's the most powerful leaders, the most prosperous countries that seem to wield power just like that, without accountability. It's the same in the West and in the East, in the North and in the South. And in, in my experience as a pastor and in other organizations that are, by God's privilege I've been involved in, I have seen, and just talking to pastors and seeing how people also live in the life of the church here and previous churches I've been involved in, I can tell you I have seen people start off serving humbly. They are humble people without any power. But the moment you give them some responsibility, it just clicks somehow in a devilish manner. And they stop being humble. And eventually they self-destruct. Proverbs 31 verse 20. Is it Proverbs 30 verse 21 to 23? Says this. The ladies know Proverbs 31 well, don't they? (laughs) I would encourage all of us, not just the ladies, to know Proverbs 30 well. And especially verse 21 to 23. Under three things the earth trembles. Under four it cannot bear up. A slave when he becomes king, and a fool when he's filled with food, right? An unloved woman when she gets a husband, and a maid servant when she displaces a mistress. Power and prosperity can corrupt us. The greater the power we hold, the harder it becomes to be a servant. And as I thought about this truth, the, the servant-heartedness of Jesus just boggles my mind. The Lord amazes me. The Lord amazes me because the Lord had infinite power. He has infinite power without corruption. You know, I agree with the Puritan John Flavia who said, Is it not astonishing that he who from eternity had his father's smiles and honors, He that before the foundation of the world was adored and worshipped by angels, for our sake became a footstool for every miscreant to tread on. It's astonishing, isn't it? To think that God stripped himself of all the robes of his glory to serve and serve me a wretch. He became my servant on that cross. As I think about that, I say, oh dear Lord Jesus How little we ponder of your love and mercy. How little we think of your beauty. What a savior we have in Jesus Christ. Beloved, we have a great savior. We have a great savior. And and that is all to say we need Christ to give us leaders who are like our great savior. People who are able to receive power from God to serve others, not themselves. Let us pray that God places this servant-heartedness in each and every person who's leading and serving in some area in the church. This is the ministry God wants. Let us ask God to humble us. Oh, beloved, let us ask the fire of God to burn in us. We can never be humble enough at home. We can never be humble enough at work. We can never be humble enough in the neighborhood. And we can never be humble enough in this church. 
We can always go lower in our humility before God and others. I wonder, beloved, this, this is, this is, this is, I'm drifting here, but where is God at this very moment asking you to humble yourself even deeper? Is there a task God is calling to you and you're not willing to do it? Is there a relationship that is just requires you to, to make it work, requires you to die a thousand deaths? Pray for humbleness. We can always go lower in humility. Beloved, don't think you have arrived. Don't think you have arrived. We can never arrive in humility. Husbands, we can serve our our wives even more humbly than we are doing. There's always a level to go because Christ is a standard. And we can't do that unless we pray for it. We can't be humble unless we pray for it. We cannot have leaders who we cannot have leaders who are true servants without praying for God to give us those leaders. Before God does anything for us, He makes us pray for it. He gives us a burden to pray for it. Because God has ordained prayer as a vehicle through which He brings heavenly blessings from His down to us. Prayer is key, and therefore that naturally leads us to the third thing. We'll try and move on quickly. Uh, so leaders, uh, we've said, must be slaves of Christ. Leaders must be, uh, m- m- must be servant of others, and of course leaders must be prayerful. Prayerful. You know, God wants leaders who put prayer at the center of their ministry. God wants Christians to put prayer at the center of their ministry. He wants leaders and those who are serving in any area who constantly pray for themselves and those they are serving. Listen, we cannot reach people directly, especially in changing their hearts. Only God can do this. So we need to pray to God earnestly to act on our behalf. And this is what Epaphras is doing. He serves the church through prayer. Look at this 12 again. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus Christ, you always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in the will of God. You know, Epaphras' prayers are constant, persistent, intense, uh, intensely praying for the people. He is so committed to praying that Epaphras resists giving up prayer even when it's demanding, even when it's painful, even when it's inconvenient. And his prayers are not casual prayer requests. He works hard at prayer. He is a man who resists any temptation to quit crying out to God. You know, when he says struggling, we'll come to that word. Struggling, that's an intense, that's a painful process Epaphras is, is going through as he prays. He's a man who doesn't quit crying out to God. He's not a man who gives excuses for not turning up the prayer meeting when the Apostle Paul calls it in prison. No, he's there. He's no torrent of any distractions. He puts his heart and soul in praying for the churches in the Lycus Valley because he knows that prayer moves the hand that moves the world. True leadership is accomplished on the knees before it is accomplished on the desk. Ministry in general, all ministry is first accomplished on our knees before we accomplish it in practice. Ministry and leadership is being able to move God to act on our behalf. If we are doing things and they are not coming from God, we are not serving anyone. 
And notice that Epaphras does not pray for frivolous things or worldly fame or personal material prosperity. What is he praying for for the church at Colossae? Look at verse 12 again. That you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. He's praying that they will be spiritually mature and grow to do what God desires for them. He's praying that they would glorify God in their lives. Beloved, you are a leader at home as a man, perhaps. What are you praying for your children? For them to excel in the class, perhaps? No, your priority is that they would come to know Jesus and that they would stand mature and fully assured in all the will. You know what that means? That they would know God has taken care of everything. I have to be honest, he said, this is a prayer I pray for my daughter. I want her to know Jesus for herself, and I want her to know that that's all she needs. That's all she needs in life. And that has to be our praying, isn't it? That has to be our praying uh, for, as leaders for those we lead. He's praying, paraphrasing, that they would glorify God in their lives, and they'll be assured that they are truly the people of God. As a church, we want to appoint leaders in the future. What sort of leaders we want? We want those who are like Epaphras. Prayer warriors. I honestly believe, after studying this passage carefully, and I've come to a serious decision, that I, as a person, would never support the appointment of anyone in this church to any position, any serious position, until I see signs that they love to pray. Until I see signs that they love to pray. Great damage is done, and I think I've done damage in the past in my ministry, when I've supported appointment of people in position, only to discover they do not enjoy time, spending time in prayer. Parents, do you want a Sunday school teacher who never attends a prayer meeting? Do you, are you telling me you want that? Do you really want that? No, you want a teacher who wrestles in prayer for your kids. You want that, surely. And this is a challenge to us who are already leading. I was greatly challenged by this myself. Perhaps you're already involved in leading the men in the church. Are you regularly on your knees for the men? As I say, prayer is not just important for church leaders. It is important in other areas of our lives. Parents, are you not... I know you, you, you pray with your children, I hope. But are you praying for them as well? Regularly. There I say, daily. Oh, what a challenge. Perhaps you're a manager, or maybe for some of you teachers in a classroom. Are you praying for your students? Your manager at work. You're managing upwards, aren't you? We always manage our bosses, don't we? In some way. How do we do that? Well, God has to manage them. We must pray for those we work for. Powerful leaders are praying leaders. Powerful leaders are praying leaders. The biggest interest to our service to God is the sin of self-reliance. We are quick to say, the Lord is my shepherd, but are we going to him to lead us? If you look at your life, you see a lot of evidence that shows you are often led by your thoughts and feelings than truly depending on Christ. Deep down, all of us believe and do many things on our own. We forget that we need God's help. 
and that our God in Christ is ever so willing, infinite love, is ever so willing to help us. He's a meek king. He has time for the weak. And he stretches his hand to help us. He has given us his Holy Spirit who lives in us. Our desperate need is to know him. To know this Jesus. And the power of his resurrection. So that we can depend more and more on him. And praise God for those difficult moments he brings as we lead and as we serve alongside others. Because nothing drives, nothing has driven me to the knees to pray than when trouble arises. I had an issue, difficult issue to deal with, um, was it last week? I forget. Uh, two weeks ago. <laughs> and you would tell me, I was so frustrated, it was in my mind, it was everywhere. I'm like, this is just, oh, it's just, it's too much. I've had it. I did. I told my wife, this is just too much. And I pondered on it for a day or two. Then the third day I realized and I said to myself, I need this. <laughs> I need this problem. Because I think I haven't been praying as much as I've just prayed. And, and, I, and I realized that that problem was a gift from the Lord. And I, and I, was tell, I, tell, I told my wife, Eunice, I said, the devil has miscalculated again. What was intended to discourage me has only sent me to spend two, three hours on my knees before the Lord, to cry out to him to move in the situation. We lead by prayer. And if you have challenges in your life, beloved, use those as invitations. See them, problems are, is grace. And the grace is for you to cry out to God, to grow deeper, to love him, to know him, and to give you the peace that only he can give in that situation. Our desperate need is to know him so we can depend more and more on him through our prayers. Finally, and I'll be quick on this one. It'll be tricky, but I'll be quick. Leaders, first, leaders are to be slaves of Christ, aren't they? Point number one. Leaders are to be servants, and leaders must be prayerful. The fourth thing we learn from Epaphras is that leaders must be hardworking. Hardworking. Leading people for the glory of God is not easy. It involves blood, sweat, and tears. Paul reminds us of this truth, actually, in Colossians chapter 1, verse 29. He says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, says Paul, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. When we looked at that passage, we said the original word for toil means diligent labor that wears you out. It is painful labor that leaves blisters in your hands. It leaves you totally drained, totally exhausted. The other word Paul uses there, struggling, which he also uses with Epaphras, means uh, agonizing. It conveys a picture of someone striving in agony during a wrestling or contest. It is used, speaking of Jesus, in Gethsemane. Similar, similar Greek word. Think of Jacob wrestling with the angel of God in Genesis. Throughout the night is a picture of that arduous, painful, brutal context that leaves Jacob dislocated on the hill. And what Paul was teaching us there is that this is how he serves. He was teaching us that serving Christ for him is not only exhausting, it's a painful struggle that takes a lot out of me. It costs me everything, Paul was teaching us in Colossians 1.29. I mention that because it puts into context the words of Paul about Epaphras in our passage. Did you notice how Paul describes him? 
Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf, he says in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. You know, Paul, who never leaves any stone unturned to serve Jesus, is saying to the Colossians, Epaphras is just like me. He also puts in the hours for Christ. He's giving everything in the tank, not just for, for you at Colossae. He's doing it as a worker for the Odyssey and the Arapolis. He's such a hard-working elder. He never counts any cost too high to pay for you. He's willing to suffer pain and distress. By the way, that's what the original word means there. He has worked hard for you. In the original, I, I, I stress this morning, it converts pain and distress. He's willing to suffer pain and distress in his life so that you may flourish spiritually, Paul is saying. He's not making excuses about how hard life is. There is no self-pity for this man who is in prison. He's not turning his situation in prison as a basis to justify himself or to only care about his own welfare. He's not saying the prison guards are too harsh, so I just need to... You know what? This is me time. No, that's not Epaphras. He's giving everything for Christ and church. Says Paul, he's using this time in prison as an opportunity to work hard now on his knees for you. True leaders pray hard and work hard, Paul is saying. They lead from the front... There's no room for laziness when it comes to leading and serving God's people. And again, of course, this hard working is supremely modeled for us by the Prince of Glory himself, the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ didn't give part of himself. He gave all of himself. Christ gave his very lifeblood for the church. If that's not hard work, I don't know what is hard work. He died for us. For you, beloved. That's leadership. Hard work. I must say, as I thought about this, this is one of the challenges many of our churches are having. The leadership in churches today are full of people who only give 10%. 10%. Laziness is a big issue in the church today. We, we, we are trying to fit God into our lives instead of fitting our lives into His. We are not giving God everything. Beloved, the call to follow Christ is not like being a fan at a football game. We are not here just to watch Christ do His thing. He's the one watching us. We are the players on the pitch. He's our player manager because he's alongside us. And we need leaders who get it. We need leaders who model this for us. Leaders who understand the call to work hard. We need people who are willing to exhaust themselves for Jesus. We need leaders who not only exhaust themselves, but are willing to struggle for Christ, to suffer arduous pain and cost. And we need to be, I need to be reminded of this. We need to be reminded of all of this. We are prone to get comfortable, beloved, in our walk with the Lord. We need people who are consistent in doing hard work for Christ. Notice what Paul says about Epaphras. Did you notice in verse 12? Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, preach you always, always, don't miss that, 
struggling on your behalf in prayers. Epaphras is not abracadabra, we might say. Now you see it, now you see him, now you don't. He's not a church ninja. He's there once, you look again, he's not there. You know, I was speaking to a brother of mine, a good brother in the Lord, he's a pastor of a church, and we were trying to understand why our churches are struggling. Why our churches have an audience such as this? Why our churches are struggling to find leaders or people who are selfless? But particularly leaders, we pose that question. My brother and I, as we were discussing, I said, we have young men in church. You have some, I have some. And I speak to other pastors, they have some. Young men, not just young men, but men who have lived life, praise the Lord, who on paper appear godly. They speak Christianese. They are reading theology well. And then my brother says this, he says, there's only one problem. I said, I'm trying to understand why, if we have such people, are we not producing leaders? Help me here. And this brother of mine turned to me and said, Chola, just one word. Inconsistent. Inconsistent. He says, we are, the people in our churches, they are inconsistent. They come to church every Sunday, but not in the Sunday morning, but not in the, in the evening. And of course, that's difficult if you're looking to appoint leaders. They come to the evening services, but not the midweek. And of course, you're looking, looking to appoint leaders, the deacons, you want, you want people who are there, who the church is hearing speak. They are perhaps at every service, but when you say, let's evangelize, they're nowhere to be found. Or if you say, let's meet up, it's you the pastor chasing them, my friend explains. And perhaps they do all these things, but if they are married, on paper they look, they are doing all of this, but if they are married, you find that they are not managing their homes well. Perhaps the wife is not on the same page with them. Now, my friend and I, as we discussed this, we're using men as an example, but the point he was getting across was inconsistency. And we were in consensus that if it is from this group that we appoint elders and deacons, then we've got a problem. Because elders and deacons must be consistent men. And of course, if you think widely in the church, it's the same with women, isn't it? There is an inconsistency there. There is a profound lack of committed and consistent believers today. That's the point I'm making. And that is why our churches not only have a leadership deficit, they have a ministry deficit throughout. And speaking of a leadership deficit, we have a deficit of at least two elders in this church and three deacons to function as God would have us function. How do we feel this? But we need God to give us willing and consistent men who we can appoint. Not just any man. Slaves of Christ. Servants of Christ. Men that work hard for him. Men that are prayerful. Men that gives every inch of their life to the cause of Christ. Not perfect men. No one is perfect. But men that are growing in these things. And they have set their sight on heaven. They know there is a heaven to be won and a hell to be avoided. Not just for themselves, but the people around them. Well, let us pray that God will give us leaders in all areas of the church who are just like those, who have those four qualities. Servants, prayerful, hardworking.
We must pray for this because no one can be like these things in their own strength. These qualities come by the Holy Spirit working in our hearts. He must bend our hearts. Those qualities come by the Holy Spirit taking our eyes of looking at the self, looking at worldly things and turning our eyes on Golgotha, turning our eyes on Calvary, seeing him there. Hello, Jesus. Beaten, nailed to the cross of wood, wounded for our transgression, seeing him there, crushed for us, and saying, what a Savior, I want to be like him. I want to save as Christ does, because he's worth my home. It's the gospel, isn't it? It's the gospel. We want leaders who love the gospel. And that gospel has reduced their pride. He's reducing their pride. There's always pride to be reducing it. It can never be zero, Right? But God is reducing their pride and self-focus and is making them more like Jesus. I just want to commend this as well to us as leaders in the home, leaders wherever God has placed us. Let us pray that God makes us his slaves, his servants in the home. Makes us his prayerful in our homes and makes us people that work hard for our families. Ask the Lord to help us to do this, not working hard in a fleshly way, but works hard in a way that honors him. Amen.